0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody. Oh, I didn't even check my calendar. I don't know. I don't keep track of the dates because, you know, when you get old, they fly by too fast. Welcome to the Black, uh, uh, Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the Black Science Fiction Society.com website. And this is the May 20th edition of the show. Our special guest today is Al Bay. He is the author of Painted Saint. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, not much else special that we can talk about, so I'm just going to bring Al in. How you doing, Al? I'm doing fine. How are you tonight? I'm well. Um, where are you coming to us from?
1: Um, Sandy Springs, right outside of Georgia, I mean, excuse me, right outside of Atlanta, used to be part of the city of Atlanta up until 11 years ago. Okay. And I've lived I've lived here now for about eleven years. I've lived in the Metropolitan Atlanta area now for twenty one years since graduating college.
0: Uh-huh. And and where'd you grow up, by the way?
1: Okay, well, uh, first eight years of my life, make a long story short. Uh mostly places on the east coast, then before uh relocating out west, which um to a state, which even my parents didn't even know was on the map, and that was long before the internet. Uh, My father, be it a broadcaster, got a news director job, Pocatello, Idaho, and that was a wake-up call to who I really was as a black person, because remember, Idaho, state with hardly any people of color in it, and then from there, um, ended up in Las Vegas, where I grew up with most of my adolescence so was mm-hmm. a west- was a West Coast kid, but then ended up um down south uh going to an historically black college university a Division two school in the CIAA conference called fayetteville state university mhm and
0: and and go oh, ahead. go
1: ahead yeah, I'm fine that gives
0: so seat. well, I mean traveling around like that gives you some perspective, boy, living in Idaho gives you some real perspective. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a quick story about me. I had to move a friend of mine from Eugene, Oregon to Chicago and she was white. Well, she still is. And, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, she rented a truck out there and we were going to drive back and we were taking the, you know, the upper passage. So I was, we were going to go through Idaho and, you know, Idaho is known for having a lot of white supremacist compounds in the area. And uh it was the first time my wife at the time said, "You know what? You, you ought to take your guns with." You. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah. and I'll tell you how bad things were. Um I disassembled my gun. I put all the parts in with all of my camera equipment and and walked right through a, uh airport security, got on the plane, had a disassembled Smith in my in my carry-on. Hmm. I don't know if you can get away with that now, but yeah. uh, that, that tells you how, how things were in the good old days.
1: Well, and, that's and pretty so,
0: intense. Yeah. yeah. Now, what brought you to, like, the Atlanta area? Was this just you got out of school, you wanted to be there? Um, I mean, it's it, it sounds like a wonderful place to live. You know, I've only flown through there, you know, had layovers there. I haven't had any chance to spend time there. Um, how do you find the city, the culture, and the people you know that, that you have to interact with?
1: Well, what first interested me there is I did have, even during my years at Fayetteville State in Fayetteville, North Carolina, I had relatives close by in mm-hmm. Stone Mountain, another Atlanta suburb, and they had lived there for more than 10 years at that time, relocating from Boston. And... Um, I kept hearing, especially at the time when Freaknik was just getting hot, those were my college days, you know, in the early 90s, Right. as as Freaknik just kept getting warmer, you know, to its peak in the early 90s, I kept hearing even from friends, well, Freaknik or not, Atlanta is a hot place, it's a nice place to be, so Atlanta the hype, and I think also another part of the hype was right before the Olympics, Atlanta... In 1990, it was announced they were getting the Olympics, and also kept hearing, oh, hot place to be, and it's a place to be, you know, especially for up-and-coming, successful middle class and above black folks Mm -hmm. everywhere, and then even theologically, since I had friends who were, you could say, deep into black conscious theology, were like, yeah, uh, black people from all over the world are drawn to Atlanta, because that's even from ancient mythology getting to a science, whether science fact or science fiction, oh that this is the old place center of, the, of Atlantis here and that's why black people are always drawn here because Atlantis was an ancient uh, place where black people thrived. Well, I've learned a lot throughout history. Well, you could say that every almost every place in the planet, uh, black people have been here first. I mean, that hardly unproven, whether you go from general Wiki, Wikipedia, encyclopedia-type knowledge, even up to uh, those who study more deep into anthropology. But all that said, it was all that that drew me again to where I decided, hey, I'll stay with relatives and look for work here. And then eventually, I did land a position. It was either going to be a job in a corporate world or go to grad school if I didn't find anything in the summer of 95, and so mm-hmm. I did land a job first at, back then was AT&T Network Systems before the split up happened with the Mama Bells that turned into um, the, well, Baby Bell. the Baby Bells, yeah. but I ended up working for the Network Systems part that became Lucent Technologies.
0: Oh, which uh, eventually, I guess at least the telecom part, is now Avaya, right?
1: Um, last I heard about Lucent is eventually, well, at least that facility I used to work at in Atlanta suburb got bought out by some Japanese company, but I know some of the baby bells got bought back up by AT&T. Yeah, they did. But to make a long story short, and again, what was related, I'll only give snippets. I won't spoil the whole book, even though the book is pretty much an autobiography of my life up until my
0: midway 30s. Well, see, say now that you, just, you just you you just just jumped ahead about a half an hour into the interview. <laughs> that's okay. Well, don't worry. I'll, no, it'll no be, that's
1: fine. It'll be a productive conversation. I I think we'll get more stimulating conversation going. I promise to do the best to stay within the spirit of black sci-fi guidelines.
0: Oh, don't trust worry me, about it. I'll ask reveal
1: me. some stuff that will get there.
0: Yeah, don't don't worry about it. You have to trust me that I know how to drive this boat. Um oh, but anyway, I mean, yeah. let me ask you this. You know, you you hear all of that hype, you know, over the years and and then you move there, um did you know, does Atlanta live up to a lot of that hype? You know, I'm—I I live in Chicago, okay? okay, and Chicago has its own mystique. Chicago has its own own—I um, don't know. You know, its its own habits, its own claims, and things like that. But then you hear—I hear about Atlanta, and I hear about it being, you know, kind of like the the jewel of the Black South, and that. <laughs> well i mean i'm just telling you yeah, the things that are said about it and and so you know i'm i'm always curious about that because i ha- like i said i have not been able to visit i have been able you know i do know the airport fairly well but but then at, when you hear all of those things about culturally what atlanta is like for black folks what what was your discovery what was your experience i mean did it live up to the hype much of the hype um, well, or, yes or it's and no. just crazy.
1: Yes okay. and no. I will explain the, of course, the, um, let me say, the joys of the hype it lived up to, and then, of course, the disappointments that were both just. on there. I'll, I'll at least start with the good points first, is that, um, yes, Atlanta, culturally, for especially pertaining to black folks, does have a lot going on. I mean, when I first got there, there were only maybe three film festivals. Now, across the whole state of Georgia, most in the metro Atlanta area, there are about 30. Atlanta is, well, the state of Georgia is now the third highest grossing um, film revenue state, you know, right behind Cali in New York. Mm -hmm. Again, with so many migratory people from all over the world moving here, I mean, Whether before the Olympics, during the Olympics, and after the Olympics, the melting pot area, it is Atlanta is thriving business-wise, culturally, tourist. I mean, it could overtake, be it, um, you never know, within the next five to ten years, even that soon, be it the new, whether you can call it the new Hollywood of the South, the new Silicon Valley of the South, even the new Wall Street of the South. And, yes, it has got the second richest concentration of black folks, not just in America, but the world, right behind Prince George's County, the D.C. suburb. Okay. So on that sense, and that's what I discovered checking out the local scene, getting there, is that, oh yeah, plenty of successful black folks, but the disappointments came to me quickly as well, too, and where I struggled individually, um, correlating with the disappointments, is that even though Atlanta has got perhaps the, you could say, most high-profile quality in terms of wealth class um, of black folks in the world, is that, wait, and even though I'm on this job at Lucent Technologies, 23 years old, making 40000 a year, I'm still miserable. Mm-hmm. Why is yeah. that? So, again, correlating between that energy going on, what – to where, hey, I'm struggling socially, even though I can be around plenty of successful black folks, is, well, mostly I'll say it, it was what I had to discover is that, well, I struggled to live out my childhood and then had to deal with torment, depression, and anxiety, repressed, leftover, and then correlating with the black folks, my uncle was, of course, telling me, uh, well, he told me from the get-go, even when I was staying with him, if Few for a few weeks in Stone Mountain while looking for a job. Is that no? It, Atlanta, it, it, all these uh, bougie black folks who got paid off to the big lie to say Atlanta is the place to be for black folks. Is it? This ain't a nice town. Here you going about? They got paid off by big businesses. I'm like, whoa! Now, even though my uncle can be crazy and comes across like the character Uncle Ruckus on the Boondocks, literally. I mean, we all sad to say, unfortunately, you have those type of folks in our family, you know, those who hate black people, and even though they are black. <laughs> it may sound funny and ridiculous, but often true. My uncle, I won't say his name respectfully, because, hey, I, I love him, and he's still a great guy, but he he'll, he's one of those in the family who will not bite his tongue on how he feels, and calls it as he sees it, even if it does sound harsh and cruel.
0: Well, was he right?
1: Oh, no. Well, even though I do have white people in my family, because I do have...
0: No, uh, no, no. I'm from a part my about brother. how, how, my how uncle, He is a black is man. He
1: is a black man, and he tends to Again, he's like an Uncle Ruckus who will say, he'll often say, and pardon my French, with the N word, I don't even like that word anymore, but he says it on the regular N's ain't (laughs) shh. I mean, again, that tip, imagine being a kid growing up listening to a bougie uh, black parent who will always tell you, oh, nigga, the N word ain't (laughs) shh. Oh my my God!
0: But okay, but but see, Al, we're not going to talk. We we're not we're, yeah, interested we're not interested in talk what you
1: do. Oh, not this. your
0: uncle. But but I am curious. I mean, w- were the disappointments in the culture of the city and and the actuality of of the culture of the city were they were they based on deception? You know, are we looking at a bunch of hype, a bunch of marketing that paints? you know, Atlanta well, as kind of like the the black Mecca of of the country? I mean,
1: again, Atlanta does live up to that hype, again, as I said, where it does have, again, the second wealthiest concentration of black folks in the world. So in that sense, it does live up to the hype. The disappointment will be, though, as even related to today, not just in Atlanta, but anywhere, any major city in the world where there's a Large black population is that. Well, the big disappointment sets in is that we, whether you look at it consciously or subconsciously, is that we are still collectively the bottom of the human food chain. No matter, even though we are in times where we see more successful black folks in every industry than ever before, even all the way up to the president of the United States, we also see more black people in prison than ever before, even more than, even as John Legend said on one of those Academy Award shows, oh, there are more black men in prison today than there were in slavery in 1850. Now, I didn't get exposed much to the prison environment, even though a good, close friend of mine used to work in a prison, and he left that job because he said it was too depressing seeing all these brothers in this environment. Now, that close friend of mine was a big influence of mine and helped get me through the tough times to where I went through the anxiety, depression, the mental breakdown. Now, getting to how this relates to uh, the crux of my book and even to the spirit of this show and to the organization of Black Sci-Fi Society, uh, before I became I'm um, Atlanta's unofficial urban rock minister because what helped, again, get me through the tough times, uh, mostly my own individual fault and not just the disappointments of Atlanta. I mean, the thriving culture here in the city of Atlanta is that, well, Atlanta has more than just, you could say, uh, booty-shaking, bouncing music. It has a diverse array of of uh, black music from every genre, Um, jazz, R&B, and rock even. And discovering the local music scene, I discovered musicians and singers from at least six rock bands that have played on all of Outkast and Goody Mob's albums. And that influenced me and inspired me combined with, as I said, friends of mine, and then even when I was checking out the African Conscious, Black African Conscious lecture circuit, in Atlanta is well, there were cats deeper into theology, conspiracy theories, Afrocentric history. Even deep and this may shock you, Satanism. <laughs>
0: oh no, not at all. I mean, you know, Satanism is everywhere. You know, everywhere well, you have religion you're gonna have its counterparts.
1: Well but I'm not I'm not even gonna talk about Satanism quite as a bad thing, even though of course it's got its um negative consequences just like any other religion but that surprised me as again a best friend of mine who from college who also was living here in Atlanta again checking out the local circuit we ended I ended up going to a lot of lectures and here's where a big influence besides checking out local musicians came into into me being eventually a DJ Atlanta's unofficial urban rock black rock um, music Selector, since I hosted a radio show on WRFG for nearly six years, um, the main, I could say the main of these lecture circuits that inspired me on this idea that black rock musicians, urban alternative musicians, were the next wave going to be that, you know, move us into an advanced stage of music and awaken our consciousness and finally get us moving forward collectively it was a cat. I don't know if you've ever heard of him from the black conscious melanin conference circuitry name Bobby Hammett. Have you ever uh, no. heard of him or even nope, let's not. say another lecturer or guys like Henry D. Bernardo, Reverend Phil Valentine? Have you ever heard of them? Well how well at least how Bobby Hammett and Phil Valentine I could say relate to the spirit again of black sci fi, believe it or not, well Phil Valentine, well, he's mostly noted as a um, holistic healer and I think even a um, natural healing consultant in some way. But even he claims to this day, believe it or not, that Stan Lee stole his concept for the character Galactus in the Fantastic Four universe. And Bobby Hemmett was an art major in college and he's one of the few cats you could say on this black conscious circuit that was getting a lot, that was getting quite a few black folks deeper into sci-fi than ever before. Now, even though it's still whether you could say a misconception or ill-noted stereotype that black people are not deep into sci-fi, even though black people, per capita, see more big-budget movies than any other cultural group, but still the Get black people not only into watching sci fi movies we wouldn't think of watching that are not at big budget theaters, but even reading deeper into the novels. So, the way Bobby was able to correlate that stuff, showing how light, not just art imitating life, but life imitating art, was opening up consciousness to see how relevant not only black culture is to all everything that's going on in big. Mid- Budget sci-fi movies, but also even negatively, how they're used systematically to keep us asleep if we don't read deep into the stories. That no matter how no matter how much black dollars and even um, powerful black characters come into play in these movies, they're still used, collect, simulating to keep us down or help as tools to keep us on the bottom of the human food chain. And I'm like, wow. It op- That opened up my minds, and at least to inspire me to what I could do further with music. And again, what got me back into being a DJ, I was an accounting major in college. And I always consider myself, no matter what job I've done, an inventory journalist. But I ended up um, taking a broadcast class at a community radio station called WRFG, the world of Radio Free Georgia, 89.3 FM, in Atlanta, and I didn't know what type of show I was going to host, I just knew I needed that, hey, this was the direction I needed to go, people always told me I had a radio voice, I think I can credit that mostly because my father was one of the first African American broadcasters as a correspondent for a major network, major television network.
0: All that aside, mm-hmm. let's get back to you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about I mean, first of all, you you've written two books, correct? I mean, I'm I'm looking at the well, one here. Well,
1: pretty much only authored one book. I have authored other, you could say blogs. I did a blog to help market the book, but only credited with one book. The other with the one books, book? The other book I think is what inspired props again to Jarvis Sheffield to why I am the featured guest on this conversation. I won't mind talking about that book that I've just read recently that again correlates to uh powerful black
0: roles in the Star Wars universe. All right. Well let's talk let's at least start with Tainted Saint.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: since, you know, a lot of people know it or you're probably I would say at this time, you know that was what was brought up to me yeah um let's let's take let let's start out with um let's start out with a a little synopsis of what the book is about, okay well,
1: the synopsis pretty much at the climax again is the crux of the book gets into where I became Atlanta's unofficial urban rock minister and hosted a radio show on WRFG. But the whole book deals with heavy, sensitive subject matters, be it um racism, uh suppression of black history, uh, music as a as a um cultural revolutionary tool. The most significant mm-hmm. issue though that makes the book into a real-life horror story. <laughs> is domestic violence. And that's the toughest thing I've had to get past Uh, growing up in a household that did have occasional domestic violence, a lot of verbal abuse. And that little did I know when I was going through that crisis in my mid-20s, my early to mid-20s, is that, well, again, why, even though I was mostly a bookworm as a, Adolescent kid, and for the most part, I was a good black student. But I had no idea where I fit in most of the time socially, um, because I didn't know how to express my childhood. And again, that's where it led me from the corporate world, even though I was making good money, into exploring my dreams, my rock star dreams as a DJ.
0: Okay, so we're looking at kind of we're looking at an autobiographical work.
1: Yes, and Um, I tell people, for those who've never heard of what my DJ name was, D-Rock Soldier, who some people still know me as, that my autobiography, the story, think of the autobiography of Malcolm X meets the Prince movie,
0: Purple Rain. (laughs) Okay. Um, You mentioned that you did a lot of reading when you were growing up. Did you have a certain genre that kind of drew you in? Well, or, or were you a voracious reader of a lot of different things? I mean, believe it you or not,
1: reading on? was my worst subject matter. I did not start reading books heavily until my senior year in high school. Now, I was good at math, but reading—I I'd never—I I'd never liked reading stuff outside of my father. I even had, even in the fourth grade, had to be held back. I was nearly held back in the fourth grade because I was struggling with reading, and I even had a major depressive episode. Then, to where my parents had to send me after school into an after-school program at a children's behavioral center because I was um, so down on myself. Because my pa- my father was also very down on me. I struggled to read, but finally, my father helped influence me by getting me to read the sports page. Because hey, I liked. I like sports, baseball, basketball, football, but I would never liked reading books much. But what finally cracked me in my senior year of high school into reading a lot of books, and one of the first books I read was the autobiography of Malcolm X. I, what finally inspired me to read more was my father had, you could say, an emotional breakdown where he was struggling at work, He was working as a manager of a radio station, but he was taking too many orders and getting into too many feuds with a supposedly redneck white woman who was listening to mostly country music, but yet she's still on the board of trustees of a black urban radio station, the only one in town, in Vegas, so to speak. So with that emotional breakdown, he told me, "Um, read upon your history, don't you know about... great athletes and great people, what they've accomplished and all the struggles they went through, even been killed? Read upon your history. Now, little did my father know that I would not only start reading, but I would become a, you could say, young militant to the degree. So much to the degree that, well, my parents not only fear that I was a member of the Nation of Islam, I was never officially a member of them, but I was in college, Though I ended up um, becoming, hanging around cats who were involved in um, nationalistic black organizations like the Dr. York's New Wahubian Moors, and then what opened up my eyes deeper into, uh, you could say, prehistoric ancient black history like with ancient Kemet the Nubians, Egypt. Um, my uncle, another uncle of mine, was a was a five percenter, a member of the five percent nation. So, taking it to where I started reading books, and I was reading mostly black history books. Even starting, even read. I was not only reading about, of course, well, well, not only great civil rights or black athletic sports icons. I was even starting to read stuff by Huey Newton, Eldridge Cleaver, Stokely Carmichael, and my parents were scared that, oh, no, you're getting too radical. Not only were they scared of me eventually getting deeper into these black national organizations, they were also scared that I was becoming a member of a cult. (laughs) Now, it's funny, the deeper I got into black consciousness... I as I said I ended up attending lecture series by a guy named like I say named Bobby Hammett, who was studying deeply the occult including satanism
0: and and your your parents like saw this and that was kind of like tipping them toward thinking that you were you were actually becoming a cultist
1: yes because Again, I, the deeper, little did I know, even after reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, that I would still um, have deep thought perceptions that um, the white man is the devil, all white people are devils. I did get deep into that, because even my uncle, when he was initially with the 5% Nation, showed me videos by a student of Dr. Yosef Benyakinen named Ashra Kwesi, who had videos dealing with the African origins of civilization and the African origins of Judaism and Christianity. And there were some old paintings from ancient Egypt that supposedly, well, where's the white man in there? Shows the black, brown, red, oh, Africa gave birth to the world. Yeah, and then shows the white, then shows in the video, white man on all four, And then I'm like, well, then how, asking my uncle, my militant uncle in the 5% nation, how did white people then come about? Oh, a grafted mutation. I'm like, wait, you mean Elijah Muhammad's theory was correct? That my mind was blown away from that point. And then members of my family were scared of me. And then, ironically, that's where about a year or two later I met. I just, my mother discovered my mulatto mother who is very white looking discovered white people she finally met her white mother for the first time who um she never knew for the first 47 years of her life
0: and okay so your your mother goes through that how how does that affect you and and you know who you became you know because w- one of the things that people are interested in one of the re- the things that I try to get at when when I do an interview like this is to to help people understand the formation uh of the artist and and so you know you're you're into music now you're starting to get into black nationalism at least as far as your reading is concerned uh you know and, and then if your mother had a white mother then of course that makes you at least you know mm-hmm. a quarter white yeah. you know what, what was was there a a balancing of the dichotomy between you know your racial makeup and then um a, against you know the, the 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 black nationalist readings and the the no. awareness of of that was there any any balancing of that? How did those two well, kind of coexist? Well, here's
1: how that kind of balanced out. Because the deeper you read, amazingly, you could say, how is it that even the the most militant of black leaders from our history over the past century have had white grandparents? And I'll give these as examples. Well, not just Malcolm X, whose mother uh, was the daughter of a white rapist. Huey Newton. Whose father was the son of a white rapist? Frederick Douglass, mulatto son of a white rapist. Um, Elijah Muhammad, W.E.B. Du Bois, also had part white in them. They had, um, they had white grandparents, I think, uh, also as a result of rape. Now, my white grandmother, um, how that came about? Well, she married my my black grandfather at a very young age, but then I don't know exactly what happened to the point to where, all right, my mother was born a couple of months premature at a hospital owned by her white Jewish mother's family, but then all of a sudden, my white Jewish grandmother disappeared. So if anything, what I'm going through would shape my personality is that didn't make me any less militant. Eventually, of course, I did meet my white grandmother and all my white relatives on there, and uh, did form a decent relationship with them, even though it was difficult at first. Because of course, that no, nobody was more frightened than my white grandmother on this, because it's like, oh, afraid I'll never love her, to the standpoint. But it's like, well, even though I am. Even before meeting my white grandmother, me and my sister used to say, well, the white in us is obsolete because we're living in a society, hey, one drop of black blood, you're black. That's that's still prominent in America. Even though there are more racially mixed classifications and racially mixed couples are more accepted than ever before, there's still that old mindset, hey, you're mixed with Somebody of color in a society run by wealthy white people—you're still a person of color.
0: Well, you know, not only that, but one of the things that has sensitized and exposed, you know, uh, the not the racist leanings, but the racist reality of this country was the election of a half-black president. You know, these people who had been fairly quiet for at least a generation and a half—all of a sudden, because they they got fearful of the fact that they thought their their innate white privilege was being melted away and that, uh, you know, this this black president was uh, going to take all white people's guns away so that black folks <laughs> come and rape their women and whatever other kind of nonsense they they were into, we're now finding out that truly, you know, over a third of the white people in this country are truly, truly prejudiced, if not outright racist. Okay. So, what, what we found out is that there is really not much difference in terms of attitudes between 1950 and 2015. And I also think that the ascendancy of a, a dem, demonstrable racist like uh, Donald Trump, um, his full-throated, uh, what do they call it, dog-whistling, dog-whistle racism has empowered white racists in this country to to stand up be counted to beat up black folks things like that and so you have to ask yourself when you look at how you were raised and and also the period of time that you were raised the things that you saw in terms of the dichotomy of race in this country you know how how does how does that suggest you know where you are let's say creatively where you are in terms of the kinds of things that matter to you music um black nationalism and and also you know obviously the the, uh, the dynamics of your family how how does all of that combine in you and and how do you if you do it all how do you express your feelings on on what these issues mean to you hmm. Oh, that's
1: a very broad-based, covering a lot of bases questions. But I'll answer it oh, in a couple good. of parts as best <laughs> I can. But hey, no, I do appreciate a broad-based question like that that gets you thinking, and that challenges the best expression of the person you're interviewing. So I pre- mm-hmm. I express much respect and gratitude with that type of question. But how well, that shape I'll at least answer it in two parts to what I, again, do in my inventory journalist personality through music and writing. I think those two aspects, again, finding my my niche, at least living out my inner child niche as a DJ and writing more and learning how to write in a healthy way that's going to empower people as opposed to drive them away. I mean, mm-hmm. I think those two avenues helped me to be the best person I can be to all of humanity, and not just black folks, but all of humanity for that matter. Because I truly do feel that even though humanity itself, from every culture that's contributed, has made uh, forthright uh, an abundance of scientific and medical adv- Advancements, we are also now more challenged than ever before to where we may be dethroned soon from the top of the food chain. So that, without getting negative, just further inspires me to say, well, it's time where I am at this stage in my life now, where I feel like in my 40s is now my great reinvention period, is I'm going to do my best to help humanity at least produce a higher output of brain power, so that way, if when we are ever dethroned from the food chain, at least we could become a more progressive, cohesive species to at least treat each other better, if not the rest of the species on the planet we live on better.
0: Okay, and so given that, um, uh, where are you getting ready to pivot to or toward in order to kind of start fulfilling that mission.
1: Well, I think in a way, I'm already on the mission. I may not be exactly where I'm at, where I want to be career-wise. Again, I went through, of course, one of um, the layoffs from a company I worked for for 16 years, Turner Entertainment, a subsidiary of Mm -hmm, Time Warner. mm -hmm. I went through their first round of what they call the 2020 Initiative in late 2014 and now i'm to the point of two part-time jobs uh, but at least i feel that even though there's a new field whether you could say of journalism or neuroscience or literature that i want to get into that maybe only two schools in the whole country if not all, the whole world only have so i'm still researching that but i think at least i'm on the right path even though i don't have exactly the positions And the role in society of where I want to be, but at least I know, at least my intentions are still good. And I think I'm at least on that path. I don't know how, where that path will change or end or go forward. Mm -hmm. That will eventually not only elevate black culture, but elevate all of humanity as well.
0: Well, you've already demonstrated, you know, that you're a writer. Plus, you know, you have a vast, um, I would say probably a, a deep um, a deep library in, in terms of what you know about music. Um, you have a number of creative outlets like that where you could start producing works that begin to change the narrative or at least help people. Wake up to things that they may not normally see on a daily basis mm-hmm. um, have have you considered you know going and and using the talents that you already have or or do you do you think i mean a lot of people your age try to reinvent themselves so that they can do something more fulfilling or something that that they may have always wanted to do. You know, people some people stupid people call it like a midlife crisis or something like that. <laughs> but 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 well no, but there are times when you yeah, look I mean, around and you go, I can, say hey, I can change this. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well so where's... so, so you know, have you given yeah, I'm I'm just curious, given that you're already an author and given that you you already understand uh, or at least my my take is that you already understand the underpinnings of music and what makes music the the motivator that it is in other people 's lives. Um, have you thought about maybe uh something along either of those lines in order to express the creativity but also the mission of opening other people 's eyes? Well, I can
1: give you two examples of where uh, my passion. My interest and in, even focus lies on helping, you know, using, as you said, my past experience, skills, mm-hmm. talents, and helping um, open up eyes and moving people forward. Um, well, music-wise, I'm... I'm <clears throat> um, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I better, again, I'm staying energized eating on a sandwich, but I better not choke on it, thank God.
0: No, we <laughs> don't want a Mama incident here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again for your patience. You okay? I apologize to everybody listening in on that. Yeah, I'm fine, but I'll at okay. least say my example. Even though musically I'm less involved with the scene than I've ever been since I first started as a DJ, I still would not mind oh yeah I see the comments don't talk with a mouthful thank you again I apologize <laughs> I apologize to all the audience members out there want to give a better presentation but again I am calling from home and just got back again from a road trip so but wanted to again be as professional as possible on here but again with music even though I'm not as involved as I used to be, especially now being more of a middle-aged guy, I'm not going to go hang out in shows like I used to and knowing that, okay, my body is more sensitive to hard, hard music that I was spinning a lot of. However, because what still may motivate me on that, where if somebody with a sound business proposition wanted me to, do some spins at a show, I'd, I'd do it because it's like, wow, there's still... Even though uh, black people in alternative music is more common than ever before, and now the collectives, there are more music collectives. When I first started, Afropunk wasn't around before that documentary hit in 2003, and I was one of the first to interview the director and producer of that film, James Spooner. I would still be willing... To do that and not also as a way to help um, promote the book as well, too, because it's like even though technology is so advanced now to where literally anybody can be a DJ, just pop open a software app from their smartphones and have their own mix going. It's like, hey, there's still very few. I consider myself more of a selector than, let's say, a mix master, like even going back to the roots like Grandmaster Flash.
0: But, sure,
1: but still, I I still have my old CD mixer system that can still put forth an amazing mix of what I like to call, and that's what inspired my publishing name, Tribal Metal, because that was that was my favorite type of you could say rock was spinning was metal bands who were using tribal rhythms, and it's like wow, I never knew when first getting into rock music. In my mid twenties that sure rock music can be the crappiest music on the planet, but when done with above average skill, it could be the most amazing, uplifting, conscious awakening music ever it sure rock and hip hop will for the most part always be young people's music and who it was like, what was I doing in late twenties into my thirties playing rock music, but it's like again, I think. Even though it's amazing, rock and roll, this is music that black people form, but yet hardly listen to or play. Well, it's not true in the sense that, hey, black musicians, even though from the 80s period to where it seemed to be a peak, I think it was just the way corporate labels had steered to where... They're like, all right, black bands became nearly obsolete, at least in the mainstream, because labels were pushing towards, you know, session technological work to produce these pop hits. However, black musicians were still around doing much innovative music and were highly at the forefront of the alternative rock music, be it ba- bands like Bad Brains, Living Color, Fishbone, 24-7 Spice. I mean, it's bands like these, no matter how much mainstream success or how much bad breaks they got from major corporations that did set that trend for mixing heavy rock with funk, disco, R&B, jazz,
0: you name it. Well, I also think that, you know, when you talk about corporate power, um, corporations want to you know they definitely want to to set the trend in order to make money um you know they they will appropriate music they will they will throw money at certain artists to to do their bidding um the music industry is a lot different than it was during i think probably the most creative period of time for for all music uh, you know rock folk um jazz r&b so, you know, for those people who separate the two, um, you know, I don't think we're ever going to see another year like 1969, but most people don't, you know, most people who listen to this show probably were not listening to music back then. They were probably not old enough. And and so now when we look at corporate music, you know, which which a lot of it is governed by radio, and you, you have, what, two companies that own just about all of the uh, music stations in America? Mm-hmm. Um, how do, how do you feel about the homogenization of, of what, what used to be, you know, traditionally were, were music forms that, that actually skewed the entire world's interest urban. You know, when hip-hop came out, it was so exciting. You know, every country in, in the world, well, most every country in the world, you had the young people excited about it. You had the young people playing it, you know, from Japan to, to even Iran. And and so when you look at a creative force like that, when you look at what what urban music and because you know urban is, is obviously skews black, but urban music pretty much controls the um, the the musical culture of the planet, you know, other than a few country western people, and we don't like to talk about them anyway. <laughs> Um,
1: well, even country western is now more skewed urban. But go ahead.
0: Well, yeah, you know, you're <laughs> absolutely right. That you you definitely have urban tropes now mm-hmm. in country music that you did not see before, and and maybe that's so that they get heard. But I mean, when you can consider that Clear Channel owns most of the music stations in this country, and it is their corporate strategy of of separating dividing subdividing so that these channels you know um are all controlled by by whatever perspective whoever's programming for them um how how do you see how do you see us how how do how do you see us moving forward
1: how do you see black people black culture moving forward with as you say exactly skewing because but the you could say how could you say the the overabundant, if that's proper, control, perhaps maybe too much control by as you said, two corporations over most of Corporate the concerns, radio right. music broadcasting channels. Well I'll answer it like this I don't see good music of any genre dying out, but the challenge though, especially when it comes to black culture now is well let's stop being concerned about what's going to be the cool hot new genre and how do how do we collectively let's say get more in control of even just small businesses even just to a simple club or restaurant where a band or a DJ is playing at because amazingly 2 years ago uh black music you could say was In a state of, and in a way it still is, uh, from when one, you could say, comedic blog writer, satirist, put out a satire article. And it scared the hell out of a lot of black radio broadcasters that said, um, he wrote a satirical letter, let's say, the head of all these music corporations saying, to black music artists, uh, saying, well, your services are no longer needed. It scares mm-hmm. the hell out of uh, black musicians and broadcasters because, it, because what happened, it came out late 2014 because in the year of 2013, for the first time in the history of the Billboard charts, no black artist of any genre made it to the top of the charts. And perhaps mm-hmm. in that whole year of 2013, in the top 100, there were no black artists. It's like, what? All these rich black moguls now, like Jay-Z, Puffy, Sean P. Diddy, 50 Cent, and no black artist are in the top 100 of music?
0: What's going on here? Well. I actually have an answer for that, but go ahead. You go ahead, and then I'll tell you what my theory is when you're done. Uh,
1: But again, showing that example and to where even one of my. Uh, one of the artists who I played who still does some local promotions here in Atlanta, yeah, because even a guy at Atlantic told him, yeah, there were no black artists in Top 100 that one year. Well, that just said to me, well, to feed more into the solutions rather than the problem is, well, again, whether black artists have got to be become, again, you hate it, kind of think about going back to the retro eighties days to where music award shows would just label music by black artists black best black artist. You hate to think of it, right. but that might that might be part of the solution. Should we focus on black music just being called center it towards hip hop becoming better or should we just focus on doing good music? I I my opinion, I think the best way of our culture moving forward, especially as um, corp- corporations, perhaps doing too much of a stranglehold on all of the genres, especially black, especially genres where black people make up a significant population, is again mm-hmm. get focus on becoming. Where I think the dichotomy comes is where the educational come in is how do we become more in control of our resources? Again, start small whether working at a bar or a restaurant or a club, become a manager of one of those. Then you can hook on bands every night. In other words, focus on saving these venues, no matter what genre of music, whether it's a band or a DJ, and have more people focused on collectively being successful business people, well-educated, as opposed to, again, and it's hard, especially in this digital Internet um electronic communication age where people's attention are more focused on what they see on TV or computer screens rather than reading a book, how do you get more of our people collectively to become successful business people? You not, and not that most of you will be Jay-Z or 50 Cent, but you can still be successful long term without being a billionaire or a rock star. That's the challenge I think we, our culture faces collectively. How do we build more trust? Again, I don't think our culture lacks individual, through each person, individual intelligence, whether conventional smarts or street smarts. We mm-hmm. don't lack that. I don't even think we even lack money, For say, even though the root of any powerful money system is a strong military. But even the roots of any strong military is not going to be the size of the weapons, the guns, it's gonna be again your strategic mute cohesive trust for one another. And that's where black culture continues to be on the bottom of the human food chain because again we don't have that cohesive trust. That was the problems whether going all the way back to slavery and colonial times is well where that's where we are still remain the most vulnerable to be exploited. But again, that's where I again I'll express gratitude and respect for the honor of being a featured guest on this show <laughs> and feeding more into solutions. I think personally that black scientists, intellectuals even some will call them nerds and geeks, that's the last best final frontier hope we moving our culture forward collectively. We have too much marketed amongst us, too many thugs and not enough geeks. Not that being a thug is always going to be a bad thing, because sometimes it is a good thing. But we need more geeks, should we say, well, scientific I, geniuses to move
0: us forward collectively. So I, I, I think I think in in good part, you're right. I mean, obviously we have to take care of control of our own intellectual property and make sure that not only do we control it, we maintain control of it, and we get the we have the channels to disseminate it. But I will tell you something, and you know people are going to say I'm crazy until they think about it, but one of the reasons why you see a negation of black culture um, at least over the last six, seven years is again because of, of, of the fear that whites have that they're losing their white privilege here in this country. All right? So you've had this incredible black backlash. I was going to say blacklash, but no backlash, <laughs> be, because of the, the, the president and, and the sheer hatred that, that we've seen on, on very public display by, by uh, I'd say, about a third of the whites in this country. And and then and, you know we don't want to talk about Kanye and his attitude, you know, pissing people off. <laughs> okay. but, but there but there's but there's a lot a lot to the fact that this country is still not very tolerant. Um, and and one of the things that scares the living crap out of all of these white parents is when their kids are listening to our music. That that just scares the, I mean, you know, you don't hear kids running around blaring country western. Well, maybe you do in the South. I don't spend much time in the South. But <laughs> but but okay. really, seriously, over the last generation, where has been the most creativity flowed from? And it's flowed from urban music, you know, hip hop, um, you know, the, the 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 poetic stylings of rap, all of these things. And you know, when when a dominant culture like America's white culture sees that happening and they know that they're about to become a minority in the 2030s i think that a lot of that is backlash i think a lot of that is corporate backlash you look at the, you look at all of the main media companies and they're all white owned white operated um to for the benefit of white um for white stockholders because we don't have a whole lot of stocks so when you look at all of that and i don't want to sound like some kind of wild-ass con- conspiracy theorist because I'm not. But I am a very, very good observer and judge of what is what moves a culture. And, and so you're absolutely right. In order to try to build the channels we have, yes, we definitely have to start small and, and just maintain not only the status quo, but maintain the presence. The presence has to be there, otherwise people won't hear it. Now... Yes. The 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 one thing that I am looking at in this whole thing is is maintaining our intellectual property because um, corporate concerns are very very good at co-opting our work and turning it to their benefit. Um, uh, they do it. They do it in sports. They do it in music. They do it in. I mean, you know, in film, who do we have is really black creatives who, who have control of their own destiny. Even Spike Lee has to borrow money from other people. Yeah. Tyler Perry has, you know, can self fund his movies, but, you know, he still has to have distribution. And the distribution channels are owned by whites. So when you talk about black creatives, and one of the big, uh, the big, um, Trends that we've been talking about for the last few years is afrofuturism in terms of creativity. You know, in terms of music, you have Sun Ra in terms of artists, you know, yeah, they talk about Octavia Butler and Samuel Delaney, but, but she's dead, he's old, and all he wants to do is talk about his uh, sex exploits in Europe um, when you go to, to his talks. But in terms of new ideas, fresh ideas, ideas that have never been heard that excite the young, we're talking about urban culture. And that has got to be frightening to the status quo. So, so
1: this is, even though, yes, it's still a challenging time to where, as you're saying, in just being observant, um, no matter how um, factual it comes from a mainstream media perspective, an Indian media perspective, or a combination of both, is, well, um, so this is a pivotal time, but still an exciting time to where even. Um, You could say, whether you could say the smartest of white corporate media culture or even just those who have been around all types of people, we see examples of this to why you will have more powerful characters, black characters in big-budget movies, even superhero and sci-fi movies more now than ever before because, well, the pivotal part is that even though, yes, more your blatantly racist whites and now even those who have been in the closet may be coming out more because they whether they've been angry more so than ever whether because of a black president or because of a tough economy because hey these whether you could say um, militia groups predominantly white tea parties they they've been they were even upset even before obama got in office saying well the roots of their anger has even been through the bush era because well America where America can help lead the world for the better, I can only pray about that even though at the same time America can dangerously destroy the whole world is well I'm my viewpoint political I'll just say mostly is nonpartisan indie. I'm not Democrat or Republican. Not to say that there's not good phases in the Democrat or Republican Party, but where I feel uh, politically, this represents my point, and even just passionately individually, I think America to move forward and to help move the rest of the world forward has got to be how to blend in better with all cultures of the world. Even though America is still leading edge with people from all over the world moving here, America to move forward has got to learn how to stop bullying the rest of the world and how to lift up the rest of the world for the better. And we even, getting to the subject matter, again, in the spirit of black sci-fi or even science fiction stories, for that matter, we see that, look, most of your big-budget sci-fi action movies cannot survive without ethnically, racially, genderly, even sexually orientation, (laughs) diverse audiences now which has got to reflect more in the characters and movies and well, where yeah. and where the inspiration right. for me being a guest with Jarvis came about is because of a book I read recently which in my opinion I have no factual proof yet was one of the test previews for what we saw recently in the in the most recent Star Wars movie The Force Awakens to where hey, your characters are now people of color, women in the lead roles, and maybe even even though the director hasn't revealed it yet, maybe even some um, LGBT characters coming in in sexual orientation coming in soon too.
0: Well, that is true. And, and one of the things that just drove uh, conservatives out of their freaking minds was finding out that what's her name in uh, Frozen was, was probably a lesbian. I mean they lost their collective minds. You know, in and the, the the very nature the definition of the word is of conservatism is to conserve. And what they want to conserve is this country back when in before, you know, 1850. And that's just okay. not going to happen because their own kids are betraying them. You know, all of these 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 single issues that these people lose their minds over, you know, LGBTQ issues um you know this transgender bathroom BS. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, all of these uh, little brown people that they're so worried about coming across the border. Um, you know, all of these issues point to the fact that they are they have an inability to face reality of today and the coming reality of the future. And so when you have when you have, uh, you know, these these really dumbass white folks who believe <laughs> the notion of white exceptionalism, and, and that notion gets completely destroyed by a black man being in the White House and being elected two times by two landslides. This is a problem. And see, what happens is we get a financial, we get a cultural, and and we get a financial and cultural backlash, okay? And the financial and cultural backlash is uh, no black folks uh, winning billboard. okay? The, in the billboard top top seats um we see it in uh this is an old uh thing that really pisses me off we see the fact that george lucas had to self-fund red tails, red tails ab- yeah. about about the most significant air squadron in the, in world war ii um we see we see people trying to You know, they're losing their minds because President Obama is going to go to Hiroshima. You know, I'm half Japanese. Obviously, I've got issues. You know, my whole family on the West Coast was locked up in a concentration camp in Utah during World War II, and they lost all their stuff, okay? And and this is because of white fear, all right? You've got white fear now, and they ginned up this fear about Muslims the most, isn't, aren't Muslims the most prop, uh, the largest percentage of believers in the world.
1: If they're not, they so. will be, or even read yeah, one and, article, and so, they will be by 2040.
0: Yeah, so they're trying to tar them all as some kinds of some kind of uh, 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 Assassin's Creed of of a religion bent on destroying America. <clears throat> Here's the trouble when you talk about black creativity when you talk about books when you talk about comic books when you talk about music when you talk about video television movies the fact of the matter is most of that is governed uh, by money and we are not the we are not the purse string holders yet we're getting better you know we have we have a few wealthy people out there who are funding things we have we have, we have become very, very adept at doing twice as much to get half the credit, okay? And that frightens uh, uh, white folks as well. When they lost all their jobs in 2007, 2008, and 2009 here in Chicago on the North Shore, these people don't know how to live on a budget. These people don't know how to, how to shop on a budget. You know, they don't have the survival skills that we have, that we have had to develop since 1619. So there, there is a huge, huge, huge cultural divide that affects everything we do. And when you talk about trying to be creative, trying to get uh, movies out there, trying to—I mean, look, look at the little nuggets they threw us. Oh, oh, oh! Black Panther was in a in in a in in an Avengers movie, you know. And and we're supposed to uh, be—you know—it kind of bothers me when everybody is celebrating like Hallelujah, we won the lottery. It's it, it, And it's what really is it? It's, it's it's one black character. All right? You know, get some freaking perspective. We have maybe one or two really, really popular shows, and the reason why they're popular is because they're well-written and well-performed. Um. So, you know, again, getting the money to do the things that we do, I think is the biggest hurdle that we have to overcome, not necessarily the cultural divide. But, the cool thing is is that things that we do in this country, things that African Americans do in this country, I'm talking about that half of me, not the Japanese half. The Japanese half, you know, that half was busted the curve and all the classes. But, but anyway, I, I think that we're going to have to give some serious thought about what you said, some serious thought about being able to control our own destiny. And well, that's more than getting one thing done. That's more than getting a movie done. That's more oh, than yeah, getting agreed. Yeah. You know, what it what it means is re empowering, you know, the black community in a way that's forward looking. We we need the education, that's obvious. And a lot well, of our parents are getting much, much better at, at squiring their kids through school. But we need we need oh go yeah. ahead.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, but hey, you've made a lot of great, valid points, and I'll only just add to that, again, without dragging too much stuff out. Again, I'll just reiterate, and again, I pray for everybody listening and who's not listening, but who may hear this subconsciously and who will listen to the recordings on this. Again, that's where I feel that black geniuses, intellectual scientists are At the forefront to where, well, I'll just say, again, I would pray that no matter what religious background any black person in the world is from, what I pray for, especially in the Christian church, is not to end Christianity, even though I don't have an espoused religion, is that, again, I pray no matter what religious background black folks Are from in the world is to give yourself more of a scientific makeover to say, well, collectively, how are we going to move forward? Well, again, that's where even if it's just a small consortium of 10 geniuses, from what I see scientifically, it's still going to take another near century before that may sound sad before black folks collectively move away from the bottom of the human food chain. But if And I pray for this every day, and I'll try to do my best to reinvent myself again to help others while I still have somewhat of a young spirit. Again, praying for some small consortium of black geniuses that'll figure out how to move most, if not all of us, collectively forward less, far, far less than a century. Because... I mean, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not. The reality is we could have another 10 consecutive black presidents, and we'd still collectively be the bottom of the human food chain.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. And here, here's the reason why. I'll tell you exactly why. Um, uh, somebody here, uh, let me just answer this question. Can we collectively go head-to-head with Hollywood? Probably not head-to-head, but we are so much better at at making do and, and getting around things now normally i wail against that normally i i get pissed off with with black folks who don't know how to do the business of doing business in america but sometimes you have you don't have the resources but but i will say this when you talk about you know getting that that consortium of of african americans who are bent on not domination but but parity Okay, let's talk parity. Let's okay. talk being in America and not not having to slide off the bottom end of a tilted playing field. That's a tough one, and I think the biggest impediment to that is is cultural for us. Okay. Some people are going to chew me up about this, but this is true. You don't see black companies merge. You don't see black banks merge. You don't see black marketing companies. You don't see black companies merge to build market share, to build power, okay? And so by the very fact that that does not happen, you have to ask the question, why doesn't it happen? My theory is that, you know, for the last 400 plus years, we have been taught not to trust each other, all right? I think that that's a big deal. I think that's a big damn deal because um, if if you can't partner with somebody that you trust, you're not going to partner with them. Okay. So when you look at, when you look at, um, oh, let's, you know, let's talk about, uh, you know, some of these, these black marketing companies, you know, Thomas Burrell's company, he's been doing very well for a while. Now the big, the big multinationals and the big American corporations that used to throw dollars toward urban advertising because they wanted to, to, you know, try to get as much of our money as possible, they are not doing that anymore. So so what does a black marketing firm do to survive? Well, wouldn't you try to find another one that had some pretty good accounts, get the two of you together and then go after bigger and bigger and bigger accounts? Maybe so, but it doesn't happen. All right, You don't see two black entertainment companies. I, can we get Spike Lee and Tyler Perry in the same room and have them talk civilly to each other? I don't know. I haven't checked the latest gossip but that's that's another example okay um you know it, 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 there are there are so saying. many things that that hold us back and unfortunately some of them of our are of our own nature you know in, in terms of me i'm a writer and and i hang out at blacksciencefictionsociety.com and and the reason i hang around is hopefully i run into maybe some other writers who I might be able to say, hey, you know, that thing that you're about to do, let me tell you what happened with me and why it was bad for me. You know, I, I would like to see people mentor more people, but I've talked about this book before. I think too many um, black creatives see being a black creative, and you're an entrepreneur if you're a black creative, see being a black creative as a zero, zero-sum game. And too many people, and I've talked to them and they've admitted this, they see, like, if I talk to another black writer and we start doing some things together, um, every time I sell books, they, they they mentally believe that I have taken money out of their pocket because they believe it's a zero-sum game. That's a tough thing to overcome. What do we do to overcome that? How do we educate ourselves into well cooperating, again, cooperating not yeah. competing? I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah. Again, you're making great, valid points here and I understand the frustrations and I'll just say only shortly well trust me every black organization I've been in or even formed has been a failure but again where I think that'll feed into part of the solution on that aspect of where we still don't trust each other that's still the root cause of most of our problems I'm not going to say it's the cause of every single one of our problems, oh, I don't believe so, enough, absolutely, but, but I believe the root yeah. cause, be it from today to a thousand years ago, is still our lack of collective trust. but I think one of the ways to feed into the solution to build more trust and then then create sustainable long term trust is again, we gotta get past as you even gave the example of when you say, oh, you sold a book, and then, oh, five more black folks are jealous of you, is to get past the ego of that aspect to say, well, just because I haven't sold one book, hey, I still may be successful on another aspect, but I'll sell a book the next day if that's what I'm committed to doing. Again, that's where I I still believe, and that's why I'm interested in getting into a field again which may only two schools in the whole country may have called literary neuroscience that mm-hmm. supposedly that's a theory that even as you talk about as a writer that reading can create a higher output of brain power well it's like well books have been around for ever but still wait a minute all this technology scientific advancements we could say as much as I've studied on history are only just regurgitations of helping us get back to the higher output of brain power that all of our human primitive ancestors had, because, and that's where the openings in sci-fi with powerful roles of blacks, not only in lead roles, but also deeper into screenwriting, directing, and producing will help uh, finally show you more so, and that's why, even though, sure, I'm not ready to celebrate just because oh, Black Panther finally made it onto the movie screen, sure, that movie will be the most important black superhero movie ever, but of course, don't just stop. It will be that unless some black indie writer comic movie breaks through, which would be nice to see before that movie comes out, but most likely the way we're going, yeah, the Black Panther movie will be the most important black superhero movie ever, but see, what that will do... To show a prosperous black civilization of present day, that means, well, inspire what we can do as older writing adults ourselves is, well, that can be inspire us to an awakening to help inspire the kids to say, well, go read deeper on your history. I see some comments on black sci-fi that say, well, I wish Wakanda was real. Well, it was real in some ways thousands, even hundreds of years ago, and it is still real in some parts of the world today. We just don't read up enough on that information, and we can make it more Wakanda, more of a reality across the world if we build more collective trust within each other. And see, the vital importance of Black Panther, also I'll say shortly, Mm -hmm. is, well, why, of course, they were going to do, even though, sure, that movie... It was finally, dang, 30 years in the making. I remember hearing about <laughs> Wesley Snipes trying to do a Black Panther movie when I was in college, but that failed. That was in the 80s, movie. wasn't it? Well,
0: the 80s or,
1: or the early well, 90s? The, the 90s, I would say. I remember yeah. hearing about, okay. in the early 90s, Wesley Snipes uh, wanted, with his production company, to do a Black Panther movie, but he ended up doing Blade instead because of what he said was litigation hell. Well, in my personal opinion, they... Studio just withheld rights to that movie because, again, it just for whatever reason, even whether you say corporate, geopolitically, or even militarily, because the military is involved in big money too, well, still, maybe too dangerous to see a black man with this poli- high degree of political and military power. But why it's more important than ever whether Black Panther or John Boyega as Finn. In the Star Wars movie, why it's important these simulations are coming more from and why I believe George Lucas perhaps risked his neck to put out the Red Tails movie is because, well, again, humanity, even as a whole, going through heavy changes to where we may be dethroned from the top of the food chain by robots or aliens, What? And I even had a conversation with a gentleman at the movie theater today in Usher, and it was a good intellectual conversation. Well, what um, sector of society are going to be most equipped to be your most fearless, badass soldiers on the front line to fight aliens or robots? (laughs) And that answer would be too obvious to be, You could say kids, especially black kids, kids of color, growing up in harsh urban environments, in and out of prison, gangs, or whosoever, especially especially whether from the Bloods and the Crips here in America, in and out of prison, or to um, kids raised in warlord armies in Africa. These are kids who literally have whether you could say their souls have been damn near sucked out of them, but who would be the best on the front lines. And when I spoke of John Boyega, I remember even seeing him in a cult classic sci-fi movie, Attack the Block, which was a huge hit in oh, yeah. indie film yeah, festivals. That. And see... I mean, even though you could say, well, that's from the perspective of a white British comedian, but, hey, a white British comedian who grew up around people of color in inner city London with respect enough of these black gangsters to know, well, hey, they're more equipped to fight an invading army of aliens than any of your spoiled suburban kids, I'd have to agree. And John Boyega wasn't the only black man up for that role. I mean, there was Ray Fisher who now got the role of Cyborg. But, see, even... The smart That's why I say the smartest amongst your um, predominantly white um, media scientific consortium elite, George Lucas, Spielberg, or whoever, they know the importance of uh, not only black, um, whether you could say urban envi- environmental attitudes as far as in, you could say, being fighters, but in creativity as well, too. And even where it could lead to a potent force like a Tuskegee Airman, which who may still exist in some force today, because even a friend of mine at work said, and I don't, I can't confirm this because I was never in the military. That there's even still a secret elite fighting black pilot unit that's sent into outer space even today. Because, well, I don't know about
0: that, but it's a secret. Well, yeah, Airmen I don't know actually, about that
1: either. But that wouldn't surprise me because. Because, again, if if alien invasion threats are real, because, I mean, that's where, again, where a cat like Bobby Hammett helped to open my eyes in the energy dealing with the Sirius star system. Now, a lot of black intellectuals like to say, oh, well, those beings are on our side. Well, without getting deep into <laughs> how far black people are in as far as in dealing with on the front lines of aliens i I would still say, no matter how broad based true it is, or even if it's just science fiction, the creative mindset and the black fighting spirit <laughs> needs to be on the front lines, and the white corporate elite know
0: this as well too. yeah, but you know when they control the money, it's a lot harder i I want to roll back to something that we were talking about earlier about kids um i I have found that as black creatives. Uh, we have to we have to create our customers and one of the best ways for creating our customers is getting our kids involved in whatever creative endeavor we have um and and, and to quick run back up to you know the whole zombie apocalypse or aliens or whatever they're not coming to the south side of chicago because somebody's going to whoop their ass but um in in terms of in terms of black creativity and getting it out there and getting it out there in a significant way, that's a tough road to hoe, especially when you do not control all of the money. Um, yeah. One of the things that I found you know for kids, especially for for our kids um, black comics are very accessible for them in in terms of exciting their mind and and presenting. A reality within the comic book that they would never see any place else mm-hmm. um, see that's the thing so uh, when when you talk about trying to disseminate creative culture to our our community there there are certain lanes that are always open that seem to work very well and and you know comics are obviously creative. <laughs> excuse me, music is very creative, but then. you you run into the gatekeeper thing with music because, uh, you know, in order to hear it, people hear it on the radio. And in order to get on the radio, you have to get past, you know, the clear channel gatekeepers. Um, I I wish I remembered the other company. So in terms of doing what you said we ought to do, which is definitely to, to push forward on a cultural agenda that not only maintains our culture but pushes it out toward the future, Mm-hmm. Um, I I think mentoring our kids and, and having some sort of accessibility to kids' minds is essential for us to survive. You know, I'm probably not going to get rich off of white folks reading my books because my books talk about black folks who got to the moon before Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Well, you know, with white exceptionalism out there, you know, they're, they're, they're clinging to, to white exceptionalism with their, their bare fingernails that's probably not going to be a very popular story, you know, for mainstream media um, or mainstream entertainment.
1: Yeah, but it can be a popular story, but it's a matter, again, of not focusing on, well, the white gatekeepers holding us back. I would say, folks, I would encourage us to focus more on, well, how, again, do we build more of that cohesive electricity Um, Collective trust and that disintegrates much, not all, but at least a lot of the egos out of the way to where, look, if we if most of us studied enough of our history, we could change it more with sci fi stories to where a story like yours about black people getting to the moon before Neil Armstrong can even if that wasn't exactly true, it could eventually become true in this universe or even another universe. That's opening up these that's what's great about um these sci fi universes or what they call alternate universes is they do reflect then eventually become true in the universes we live in in these dimensions that will change not only the betterment of our future but even changes history. Because see the dangerous part, even a former friend of mine, even though we're not on We parted separate ways, but still he had a good point to say, even after looking at a movie like Django Unchained, is that, well, it was based on a true story, even though the character wasn't true, because it was based, you could say, on a guy, a black bounty hunter named Bass Reeves, who some say was the origins of the Lone Ranger. And it's like, when white people or people non-black know more about our history than we do, they can change it. They can erase it. They can whitewash it. Uh, manipulate it whatever but when we start to look back more we'll study and then implement that as inspiration of more of our history and can finally get more of the egos out of the way and and again praying and striving for the black genius consortiums to figure this out to build more collective trust that's where the history can be an inspiration and create more inspirational sci-fi stories that then become today's Inspirational sci-fi stories will then become tomorrow's science fact for us.
0: That's probably true. And, 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 and there are, I mean, when you have an entire culture um, who, who has been conditioned to do twice the work to get half the credit, you're going to find some outliers out there who do very, very well, who do better than most and and who will be the shakers and movers culturally into the future what we just have to do is we have to make sure that they have the resources in order to pull it off um, and and that's another uh, that's another that's probably another two-hour discussion um, <laughs> yeah. anyway, anyway but when you when you look at where you're going to go in the future and and how you're going to express your creativity in the future um, do you see, Let me ask you this. Do you feel positive about the path you're going to take and the likely outcome? That's one part. Do you see challenges that that are above and beyond what should normally be present? And do you measure your success? How do you measure your success?
1: For the future? Ooh, very deep question, but good, relevant question. The way I will answer that in the best presentation, and while my mind still has a good amount (laughs) of energy before I were to get something to drink, but hey, again, thanks for having me on here for an important Mm -hmm. discussion. Again, for black science fiction to help make it black science progressive fact, is where at least starting as one example with building collaborative trust, even if it takes me the rest of my life, not knowing whether the rest of my life is only for a few more days or even for another near century. I would like Mm -hmm. it to be a good near prosperous century. Again, there there are an abundance of scientific and medical advancements available to everybody now. But even as you said, the challenges come in is, again, getting – Not only the financial, physical resources that will make these productions happen, but even the simple thing, before I were to do something more creative, again, whether speaking with Jarvis or a couple of other illustrators I know, and then forming just one cohesive deal to turn, which I'd like to do writing-wise which is to make my long 422-page autobiography into a shorter, condensed graphic novel. That's Mm -hmm. what I'd like to do personally, but if I'm going to get that done, no matter what illustrator I collaborate with, which hopefully will be a talented uh, black illustrator, because again, even though my book can be... I mean, I'll, I'll just say that not to say disregard any illustrator, talented illustrator from any other culture, but again, because this because my story is so resonant and important to the progression of black culture, it would be nice if I can collaborate with a talented black illustrator. But if I'm going to do that, then there's got to be collaborative trust not only built from just doing conventional, as you said, American economic business, but even (laughs) just basic manners in personal trust. Because amazingly, in my failures in relationships and bonds with friends who used to be like brothers from another mother from me, and now they're strangers or enemies. And these were brothers who had smarts, whether Ph.D. smarts or even street smarts or a combination of both, but yet we failed. I mean, I say we, me and those former friends of mine, we failed with each other because when the stakes got higher on collaborative projects, we didn't know how to have basic manners with each other to where strong intellectual brothers then part ways as just spoiled brat street punks. And that was sad. And that, and getting past that, and now it's tough for me because, again, being a guy in my mid-40s, getting close to my mid-40s now, it's tough to build any uh, relationship bond. But, again... At this point in my life, it's got to be no matter what collaboration I do with somebody, it's got to have sound business long term if there's going to be uh, true friendship. So the challenge is, yeah, there's mo- there's always going to be money challenges, especially from a culture that's still collectively struggling to get away from the bottom of the human food chain. But also, but the biggest challenge again is just going to be how. Can our next good business arrangement, especially with somebody from the same culture within African-American business culture, progress that's going to have long-term strategy? Again, I say we need to go about stuff more scientifically than religiously. and That doesn't mean stop your religious inspiration, whether anybody listening is Christian, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, Hindu, Atheist, Paganist, whatever your religious beliefs are, it's a matter of how do we go about stuff more scientifically that will still have a good long-term collaboration that's going to build us for the better instead of draining us. That doesn't mean we're going to be hunky-dory Disneyland theme park. We all get along. within the next day or so, I'm not saying we're going to be at that utopia. Nothing is impossible, but just remember, everything scientifically is possible, but takes work to progress, whether it takes one
0: second or one millennia. Well, let's circle back to Atlanta. You, you, know, you live on the outskirts of Atlanta. You've been embedded in you know, Atlantic, Atlanta's culture for, for quite some time now. When when you look at what you see in terms of black culture in what is supposed to be you know the the, the crown jewel you know, city for African Americans in the country, when you look down the road, you know let's talk ten yeah. years down the road. What where do you see? I mean, do you see things improving? Do you see things? Do you see a a better up uh, more trust, more communication, probably a a better circumstance for amassing hmm. you know, greater and greater power and even you know, banking, money, investments, you know, do you hmm. you know, how how do you see that living right where you are? Because this is this is kind of important. Um, yes, let me that, let me make let me make important. one example. Okay. Let me give you one I'll example. Listen. You got you got Ferguson, Missouri. Okay, You got a, a majority black populace. Uh-uh. And up until very recently, almost every cop in that town was white. The city council was white. The mayor was white. Things have changed since the shooting. But, but obviously, in a majority black town, you had all whites in the positions of power. Okay, that is not necessarily so in Atlanta. Atlanta has has managed to kind of break that mold. And so when you look at Atlanta as an example of where we are today, how do you see, you know, where do you think Atlanta is going to be 10 years down the road in terms of a mecca for African-American creativity and financial power?
1: I will answer that, I'll say, in as broad based, as honestly as I can, but not trying to get too negative in that question. But again, still being forthright honest so I don't sound like I'm sugarcoating questions. Because again, I experienced the highs and the lows, the joys and the disappointments of the hype of Atlanta of being a black mecca. Well, Atlanta may be the most important city in the world period to any culture because, well, not only because of booming businesses, media, uh, technology, and so forth, but it's the home of the CDC Centers for Disease Control, so it's got every known and unknown disease on the planet. If this city suffered a zombie apocalypse, it would make Walking Dead series be, good God, the whole world being like that, oh my gosh. But anyways, getting beyond that zombie apocalypse fear, why State mentioned that little tidbit of information related to black folks moving forward, let's say within the next 10 years, I'm not certain Atlanta will even be regarded as the black mecca anymore. It might be another city. I'm not sure which it is because even though, as you mentioned, Atlanta may be far ahead of Ferguson, Atlanta can become like Ferguson any day because the urban landscape has changed not only in Atlanta but every major metropolitan area I could speak for in the United States to where more black folks, people of color live in the suburbs and white people have now started to migrate more back into the cities. And as for examples, um, Detroit... Chicago, New Orleans, cities that had black mayors for several decades now have white mayors. Detroit elected its first white mayor in 40 years, two years ago. And even in Atlanta, um, Auburn Avenue, historically black Auburn Avenue, you find a lot of yuppie white folks uh, moving down to that area, back into the city, forming startup businesses. They have, and they mentioned, respect for the black business owners who thrived in that area but they're moving back into the cities because it's like hey the traffic jams atlanta being perhaps having the worst traffic of any metro area in the country and yeah people especially white folks are tired of it so the way to get past the traffic mess especially younger white folks is to move back into the cities where these big corporations are based and to where Hey, black folks who are tired of the hustle and bustle of the city will move more out to the suburbs. Even even one example of where the danger of where a black suburb can become in it, even in Georgia, like a Ferguson, because it was amazing how Cobb County, which was mostly for a long time predominantly white, I go to their Cumberland Mall um, one time during the holidays, and I'm like, wow, this mall has got 80% black folks. Now, nah, See, that's a danger of a Ferguson because, well, hey, most of the businesses are still white-owned. Because, see, that's, again, which goes back to us where we've got to establish more collective trust amongst each other. Stop waiting for the next Obama or Jay-Z, rock star, political star, black billionaire, black Wall Street star to come hey, along Obama. and just say, look, you could be a success. You could be a success even if you worked your whole life at McDonald's, if as long as you just save your money.
0: <laughs> so, you know, I I just had a thought. Um, one of the things that we do is we we don't we don't kind of invent and hang on to things. I mean, I, I'm wondering, uh, just just indulge me for a second. What do you think would happen if there was a Facebook just for Black people? That was made by a black person. Well, As I mean, someone...
1: here, but the, here's the thing: there are, you could say, black social internet sites like Facebook. I've I've been on Black Planet. I don't mind black-owned, um, you could say, social blogging internet sites. They exist whether here in the states or in Africa. They're black. Right. There are plenty of black startup businesses. The the problem, my problem, at least. Respectfully, we'll say with Black Planet only praying they get better is a conversation like this back and forth between two people on Black Planet is few and far between because even though Black Planet will try to recruit me to get, well, to send me emails to say, oh, here's what people have been tweeting or texting, most of the conversations are just about um, their relationships or what job they got today. Now, not to say that stuff is not important. The only time I had gone deeper, the last time I was on Black Planet, was when a black doctor was presenting some advice, and he called himself the black doctor on Black Planet. So Mm -hmm. that's where, again, um, I would prefer more, not to say we don't have enough black sites, but it's what they're talking about. If, let's say, Black Planet can do more stuff like LinkedIn or if we had more black sites like a LinkedIn that are going to move us forward or even if, let's say, you had black social media sites, again, like this one, that are going to talk about more than just what your relationship you're in and what gossip went on or the latest party with the Empire, that successful TV show
0: Oh, there's a court oh. party for the season finale for the season finale of Empire, or 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 the myriad lies you want to tell about yourself that have nothing to do with who you are really. Oh, yes. did I say that out loud? I am so sorry. I had I no know fr- idea. Hey,
1: brother, I know yeah. the frustra- I know the frustrations <laughs> that come. Again, it- it's not that we don't talk about this stuff. It's a matter of how, when, whether we relate this stuff through frustrations, or even talk about the good things that have gone on. At least, well, I went to church and God forgave me for all that. Well, how do we then implement it, take responsibility, your God-given responsibility, and implement that first into a strategy and then into, as you say, a sound business plan, especially here in America, and make that happen?
0: I would like to find a network where, I mean, we have, we have one creative network here in Chicago where we have uh, a lot of black creatives. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, it's called the Chicago Independent Artist Network. And people actually seek other people out for work. You know, like when I, when I uh, am getting the crew for a movie and maybe even casting, um, that's, that's the organization I go through. But there are not that many organizations nationwide where where we can work effectively with with our own talent, and it it seems a shame to me. And and I I take that back. I take that back. There could be. I don't know about them. Okay, I don't know everything. I certainly don't know everything. If I knew everything, we never would have met. But here's the thing. Well, no, I'd be in an island someplace with a whole bunch well, of. Well, to know everything
1: and, is to know nothing. Yeah. It's okay, bro.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. So, you know, I, I would love to see more cooperation between, you know, black creatives, and also I, I really think that it's essential for us to mentor our young, because not only are we creating our own, you know, our own customers for whatever creative arts we do, but, but hopefully it's passing on the same kind of creative attitude to, to a new generation. Well, um, he,
1: yeah, and here's, I'll say, at least one hope that was partly mainstream as you spoke about collective film and black people at least working together. I'll uh-huh. say as an example in why I would vote for this filmmaker as president, even though I don't agree with most of his actions, at least he makes full-throttled effort. I give props to Spike Lee for most of the film project he's done. And Chirac not only was one of the funniest films I ever saw, but it presented at least a great attempt to put out there to black folks about how you could collectively move forward, stop the violence, even though the message, no peace, no pussy, seems even still laughable today. But he based that, as he showed in the film, off what a Liberian woman pulled off during their efforts to civil war. It's like... At least start with something. Now, that may not work all the time or for a couple of years, but that's at least starting something of a good collective effort to stop our people from killing each other more so than lifting each other up. I give praise to that film and and how he got black. Famous black actors from diverse backgrounds, a couple who couldn't even stand each other. Hell, even Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson at one point got into a big argument, couldn't stand each other, but amazingly hooked up for that film in a collective effort to move us forward. It didn't get much distribution, but not that. And even sadly enough, a wide degree of black folks were going to go to the theater to see the movie anyways, because it's like, oh, it's too political, it's too controversial, too realistic too relevant and again it's where if we could look at that to say well at least that's a good start somewhere no matter how much you like or dislike or disagree with Spike Lee at least give him credit for starting somewhere
0: now as well, you and he's about also producing. he's also producing he, he's producing output you know what I mean he's he's making movies and yes. and you can't you you can't discount that you cannot minimize that at all you know i'm sorry go ahead oh yeah
1: no you made your point because hey i i could say only enough praise about the movie now the challenge is with a movie like that that sh- that simulates how we could come up with in each metropolitan area peace accords how do we put that into play on the regular to where um to where black-on-black homicide will stop being the leading cause of death amongst black males.
0: Well, that...
1: I know, that's a tough issue that I know well, yeah, but that's also, could, could that's still also take years, years or even decades to solve, but at least, like I say, with the praise I've said for that movie, is Spike Lee started somewhere. So what do we do to act on more of that? Well, again... We could talk about that for hours. Maybe one solution will come. That's where, again, praying, uh, saying, putting that out there to the geniuses listening to um, this radio show that I pray they're they already coming up with some stuff now or have, if they have already come up with some stuff, then how to implement that on the regular. It's going to take a lot more, well, not only brain power collective genius black brain power but how even to get the simple manners even that's a challenge as I mentioned two black PhDs to get past their egos to say well look let's just test both ideas and see which one works better long term
0: mm-hmm yeah well uh, yeah no I get that um, I uh I don't do films that are of a uh, so political nature, or at least cultural. You know, they're not. I do comedies, but but it, again, having the wherewithal to do it is still rare. You know, I uh, I, I had to play the uh, the business, the American business game, to go ahead and get the funding for for this movie. You know I did a business plan i did uh you know i did my budget i did this i did that i did a a trailer you know i, I went the conventional way and I think it was because people were surprised that an independent you know a japan negro independent went and did all of that work <laughs> that that they, they 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 deeded me with a level of confidence that you don't normally see i mean not very many people for their first uh for their first feature are going to get a, a budget of several million and then get that money you know um you, you, it's funny you you hear about spike talking about his first movie where he was doing guerrilla um filming you know he would, he would run out they'd run out in yeah, the in the streets. yeah they get
1: before kickstarter did yeah, exactly. on that one show so,
0: yeah. And and that's the other thing, you know, if if someone else and and belonging to this uh this network up here um in Chicago when there are people who will call me up and say, "Hey, um can you give me some advice or can you help us produce or can you do this or do that?" and I I rarely turn anybody down and it's not because I'm getting paid big money or anything like that, but I want to see young kids, you know, and we're talking about kids in their 20s, you know, they're coming out of Columbia film school and and they're trying, you know, you got you got them trying to do, you know, a movie, trying to put together the funding, trying to understand what it takes to put together a good crew, and and I wanna I want to I wanna be invested in their success. You know, not yeah. not for my personal gain. Um so it if, if uh in terms of you writing your own autobiography let's jump back to that because we've got a few minutes left and uh, yeah. for those of you who don't know hang on i'm going to drop the link back in there to your amazon page yeah i Was did have a website
1: who, yeah. but austerity measures i ha- i had to take it down but again i'll and not to just self-promote myself but Again, because the book has been out for four years, anybody listening on this call who will um, LinkedIn is usually the best way to reach me, but you can email me at drocksoldier at aol dot com a lot of people still know me by that email name. I will give mm-hmm. you half off on the book Electronic or print. I still have both copies available, and again, well, I'm that's open a deal to deal right there. Yeah, and again, I'm open to listen to collaborative ideas with illustrators or even coming up with sound business plans. Right. Again, I'm open to that possibility. But even one example I can give you as a movie, and I did this, believe it or not, I had a very small 30-second role in a black independent music film called Cat, Mm -hmm. Sean and Oz, props out to... um, boston fielder who used to be located down this way is now up in new york he's organized herb alternative music festivals for maybe a couple of decades now even though i only got i worked all day like 10 hours and only got paid one dollar and didn't know much about the film i was glad to participate (laughs) because it was good to see uh, you know a a music film about a black alternative genre and We've had now a couple more films, and hey, even though I didn't like the language, even though my book is filled with a lot of horrendously foul language, I still give props to the movie Dope in there, which just happened to be executive produced by uh, Puffy and um, Farrell Williams. I at least know how to soundtrack on it. I think one other, I don't know if it was Russell Simmons, but hey, that I went to see that at the theater, and I was like, wow, this was a very smart comedy, Mm -hmm. a very smart teen comedy film about a black nerd. It's like, man. I mean, even though we're in the time where it seems nerd, it seems it's cool to be a nerd, even though black nerds, a shame nerd, black and Latino nerds, it's still not cool to be nerdy. Amongst well, black I mean, and Latino nerds, at least not widespread. Even though it's becoming more common, it's still very
0: small, few and far between. But even, well, reason, even go there, ahead. There's a reason for that because you know what 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 has been our our artistic example for black nerddom, and that's that Urkel guy.
1: <laughs> I have an Urkel T-shirt, believe it or not, from my. I still that shirt, t-shirt still fits me from my middle school days. Uh-huh. That he not only became the epitome of black nerds, but TV nerds. Period. Wow, that even though Family Matters, when it came about, oh, that's just another Cosby show. But then when Urkel came about, now this show has its own original personality. And wow, nerds! That that was a big simulation inspiration. You could say right there, but Urkel's, black Urkel-type personalities have been around forever. It's just a matter, again, how will cohesively, let's say, more realistic black Urkels like Lonnie Johnson, who does own a million-dollar innovative company, who's put, who, you know, the inventor of the super soakers, led space mission sure. to Jupiter, and who is the inventor of a lithium battery, Again, how will Lonnie Johnson work with more cohesive uh, black genius scientists that will put forth more solutions for us long-term to where, um, again, the cohesive trust comes into play to where our culture is
0: more on the upswing? And on that note, we're going to call it a show. Did it seem like two hours? Um.
1: Yeah, it kind of felt like an hour at first, but wow, that first hour went by amazingly fast because I think we had a good, productive conversation. I thank you and Jarvis Sheffield for having me on here and considering that even though, again, I'm more of an historical, factual journalist than a sci-fi novelist that we did, that you considered... Uh, my experience relevant enough to serve as an inspiration, which I hope I have, to everybody listening. Thank you, everybody listening, for your patience and for your empathy on that. And, again, pray that I have helped, at least to an inkling, inspire more long-term solutions for black culture, especially those at the forefront in science.
0: Okay um but, but seriously though you know art is art and whether it's writing and autobiography um you know it doesn't necessarily have to follow the same kind of tropes but i want to thank you for being here it it was highly entertaining um and and i'm i'm sure people probably got more than a nugget <laughs> Excuse me, of of something to think about, you know. Once the show is over, um, thanks for being here. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, keep us posted on hey, any new adventures. Yeah. And uh, on that note, I'm going to ask Jarvis to step in and uh, close out the show.
1: All right. And uh, yeah, I'll just say quickly to Jarvis, I don't know if he's how much of the book he's read, but hey, um, I look forward to the overall review once you have read that book, and no matter how positive or negative the review is, may the review help move our people forward.
0: Um, okay, most and Hank... Oh, go
1: ahead. Did. I'm
0: sorry, Jarvis. I didn't mean to step oh, on I'll you. Go say, ahead, Jarvis.
1: Oh, <laughs> I was just saying, most definitely. Um, I want to thank everybody for participating in the show tonight, and um, it's been really lively in the chat rooms. We have some new people that haven't been involved in the show that were Active and asking questions and giving feedback on what was said tonight. I want to thank our guests and our host for sharing their time and um, and enlightening us on their experiences in sci-fi. Yes, indeed. Thanks again, Jarvis, and we will again continue networking. You'll hear from me soon. Be it on um, Black Sci-Fi LinkedIn. And, hey, I have the utmost faith a strong collaboration is going to come with illustration for these words we put out. Awesome. Very cool.
0: And, you know, not that I have to remind everybody, but this show is every Friday starting at 9, right around 9 p.m. Eastern time. Please tell your friends. Please check out the site, the main site, BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. There is a wealth, a wealth of content, art, music video uh stories um tell your friends it's probably one of the most uh, original sites on the internet and uh we we appreciate everybody who contributes and everybody who checks out the show and everybody who who actually just supports us so uh, on behalf of uh the entire black science fiction society family i love saying that um my name is William Hayashi. Everybody have a great weekend or whatever day you listen to this on your podcast. Thank you very much. And good night. Good night,
1: everybody.
0: Bye-bye. Yeah, good night. And stop. We're waiting for... Hold on just a second. Okay.